one of the things that I try to do each Sunday, and maybe you've caught this, is to have um, some little uh, phrases, quips, lines, you know, that are kind of easily uh, rememberable. Is that a word? Um, and, and put them on the screen to kind of give you something to take home um, during the week and, and think about. Uh, th- that is uh, not happening this week. <laughs> um, what we're going to talk about today, just, just, it kind of just didn't, I don't know, just didn't come together like that. And so um, it's going to not quite be the same, but hopefully uh, God will still use it and you'll get something out of it. Um, every great story, every story that we get sucked into as a movie or a, or a book or just in conversation with somebody, every great story has a, a moment. That there's a moment when everything that has happened up to that point and, and everything that's going to happen kind of hangs in the balance of that, of that moment. And, and probably if we went around, you could think of a movie or your favorite book or, or whatever, and you, you could kind of point to that, to that moment. You know, will the guy get the girl? Uh, will the unsung hero step up and help the team win the championship? Will she realize her power and then, and then be able to get the promotion? So I, I call these, um, these moments... <laughs> Okay, thank you, Jesus. I've had a, I've had a popcorn uh, husk stuck in the back of my throat since last night. All I needed to do was get up and start talking, and it came out. I literally woke up in the middle of the night, like, hacking because this thing was stuck in there, and I, I couldn't, I got crackers this morning and a donut and tried everything. I actually was really worried. I was like, man, it's going to stink preaching with that thing in the back of my throat not being able. And there it goes. It's disgusting and gross. You're welcome. Glad you could. Uh, welcome to real life. Uh, okay, so um, <laughs> these moments that, that we get drawn into, that we're waiting for, like, you know, you're waiting the whole movie, the whole book to get to that moment because you know it's going to be exciting. And so I, I've kind of termed these, these moments, I don't know, maybe somebody else uses this too, but I, I kind of call these moments hinge moments. And, and I call them that because so much hinges on this one this one moment. If you, if you looked back over your own life, probably, you'd be able to see these moments. And maybe there'd be a lot of them um, in, in your life. And, and you'd look back and you'd be able to say, like, okay, if, if, I had, um, if I had said yes, then things would be different now. If, if I would have said no, then look at all the things that I would have probably avoided in, in my life. And so, so much hinges on that one moment. And if you, if you go this way, then all of these things happen and all of these things don't. And if you go that way, then these things happen and those things don't. And so it could really kind of go e- either way. It's like a door that swings both ways. And depending on which way you're going to choose, all of these things happen. And so every good story, every story that we get sucked into has this hinge moment. And in our lives, and especially, and maybe even in just our spiritual lives, we have these hinge 
moments. Sometimes we have lots of them. Sometimes even multiple of these moments kind of happen in the same day. That they're moments, they're opportunities where you have to make a choice. You have to come to a decision. There's a, there's a moment, right, in the, in the story. It's like a, a line in the sand, and you have to decide, am I going to stay here or am I going to step over? Is it going to go this way or is it going to go that way? And everything that happens after this is going to be a direct result of this single decision, this single action, this single thought or word, and and everything changes. Yes or no, which way is it going to go? Left or or, or right, this one or or that one. It happens for all of us. And and there were actually um, three primary hinge moments in the life of Jesus, the first one happens after John begins to, to preach, right? We looked at this um, at the beginning of this series. John bursts on the scene. Mark begins in chapter one talking about John shows up. And, and remember, he's dressed funny and he eats funny things. But he's preaching a baptism of repentance. And, and this baptism of repentance is, is in preparation of Jesus coming and beginning his earthly ministry and all the things that are going to happen. And, and John, in this moment, as he preaches this baptism, he's actually fulfilling prophecy from, from hundreds of thousands of years before. That, that the new Elijah would come prior to Jesus, prior to the Messiah, the promised king, and, and, and he would begin to make the way ready, to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And, and so this baptism of Jesus, like it may not seem like a, a big deal, but if we look at it as this hinge moment, we'll, we'll see that there's some really big things happening here. Uh, will Jesus submit to a baptism that he doesn't need for sins that he hasn't committed to be baptized by a guy who is his inferior? And you look at all those things, and, and, and some of us, if we were given that opportunity, we'd go, no, I don't think so. I don't need to do that. Why would I? Do, like, I'm the son of God. I have never, there's no point, there's no reason for me to do this. And so, will, will Jesus kind of ignore this moment and, and, and go this way, or will he decide um, that, that, that that he's going to do it, right? And so there's this moment, this hinge, which way is he going? Which way is he gonna go? He doesn't need to be baptized. And, and yet Mark then says, that other gospels say, that, that when he's baptized, he actually fulfills all righteousness. Like he does the right thing. This is a moment, really, that Jesus accepts the ministry that has been assigned to him by his father, right? That Jesus' baptism is like the point in time where Jesus says, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow this path. I'm gonna go this way. And Jesus knows that if he follows this path, it's gonna end in his death. Painful, horrible torture at the hands of the Romans on the cross. And he knows this going in. And so is he gonna accept this this moment, this ministry that's been assigned to him by God. It's, it's actually Jesus' first physical act of obedience to his father. 
It's the first one that we see Jesus take. I mean, up to this point, we really don't know. Like Jesus was born, we get that story, but, but he doesn't do much in there, right? He's there, but it's really about Mary and Joseph and about their faithfulness and trust in God and the, and the wise men coming and the shepherds. That's really the story of Jesus' birth. And then there's that little bit in scripture where Jesus is 12 years old and his parents take him to Jerusalem for the feast and, and, and they, they lose him, right? He's in the temple and he's talking to the religious leaders. And when they finally find him three days later, he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? Um, but but you look, there's some things going on there, but it really is about Jesus submitting to his parents, not to, not to his father. And so this is the first kind of physical thing that Jesus does that's recorded in scripture where he's obeying his father in an area and a thing that didn't make sense for him, his baptism. There was no repentance, no confession that needed to take place. And so Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River and then immediately heads into the wilderness east of the Jordan where he's tempted by Satan for 40, 40 days. Maybe you remember that story. And, and he, like he makes it through that with flying colors. That's actually the second hinge moment in, in Jesus' life. Now he's, he's tired, he's, he's hungry, um, just worn out, the fatigue, all of these things. And Jesus, uh, Satan shows up and tempts him to get all of the things that God had promised him, but in a much easier way. I mean, that's how Satan works, right? He's like, well, God promises you all this, but it's a long road to get to there. I'm gonna give you all the same stuff, but I'm gonna give it to you much faster. That's, that's really how Satan kind of works. And so Jesus passes that test too, and the door kind of swings one way, and then Jesus begins his public ministry. And here's how Mark uh, starts out. After John was arrested, so this is after Jesus had been baptized by him, uh, John talks about how he needs to decrease so that Jesus can increase. This is what's happening. John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of, of God. Now, that's important, so just remember that, that this, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of, of God, and, and Mark says this is what he said as he proclaimed the gospel of God. He said the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And, and we all as Christians go, yeah, the gospel. Way to go, the gospel. What's the gospel? Uh, well, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the, that's the gospel. Uh, no, it's not the gospel. They're called the gospels because there's a story of, of Jesus. But, but look, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. And then right here, he came proclaiming the gospel. What did he proclaim? He proclaimed, the time is near. And the kingdom of God is at hand. And he said, then repent and believe this message. This message. Okay, so just hold that in your mind. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. So this is what he came. He proclaimed this to the people. And then he was passing alongside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. Uh, by the way, Simon is Simon Peter. Jesus changed his name to Peter. So you see Simon, that's Peter. And he was casting his net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. 
Now, Mark says Jesus came proclaiming the gospel, which we've been talking about through this whole series, means good news. The word gospel literally means good news. And so Jesus came proclaiming the good news of God. And this was Jesus' gospel message. He said, the the time has come. That's the first thing he says. Hey, you, you Jewish people, you've been waiting for this for thousands of years. In fact, you go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, the very beginning. That, that's what we call um, the proto-evangelium. There'll be a test at the end. Um, proto-evangelium. And, and what that just means is it's the first time that the gospel message is, is, is shared. And, and what happens there is that's where God is talking about the punishment for Adam and Eve and the serpent. And, and he says to the serpent, um, you are going to strike the heel of the seed of Mary, um, but he's going to crush your head. So you're going you're gonna to wound him, but he's going to destroy you. And it's the seed of, of Mary, this person, this human person from um, uh, from humanity is going gonna, is gonna to come. So Jesus is saying, the, the time has come. All of those prophecies that you've heard for thousands of years that Moses wrote about in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all of that, the, the time has come. It's now for all of that stuff. Then, then he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so not only has the time of the promise come, but the kingdom of God is is here. This thing that you've been waiting to happen, you've been waiting for, that God would restore his kingdom. And of course, they had a lot of misconceptions about what this meant. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he tells us how to respond to that. He says, repent and believe. Repent and believe. Repent and believe that the time has come and that the kingdom of God is at hand. Okay? That's what he's saying. Now, Mark includes the um, calling Jesus gave to the 12 guys, right? The the disciples where Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He includes that calling and the same calling that Jesus has extended to each and every person throughout history. And even today, he says, follow me. So from the middle of uh, chapter one, the gospel of Mark chapter one to the middle of chapter eight, Mark tells 10 stories about Jesus um, healing the lame, the blind, the sick, and and even raising the dead. In those chapters, Jesus preaches or teaches five different times. And and, and one of those chapters is a whole big, a whole bunch of parables all kind of packed into one section. In, In those chapters, Jesus performs four major miracles that don't involve healing, like he feeds the 5,000, the 4,000, and he walks on the water. And then Mark includes these stories about being, uh, Jesus being questioned or challenged by the religious elite of his day, and that happens six times. Now, as we read through the story of Mark, which is like part Jesus' biography and, and part Mark's own memoirs, okay? The Gospels are kind of made up of those two things. Mark didn't include these stories because they were his favorite stories, because he liked them the most or, or, or some other kind of crazy reason that he might have come up with. Mark includes these stories because each one has a purpose. 
Each and every lesson and miracle and interaction that Jesus had has a purpose. And Mark is, is using these stories to bring us to a, a point, a, a moment, a hinge moment in our lives as we even follow along the story of Jesus and the, and the disciples. And so Mark includes these stories on, on purpose. He does it on purpose. Uh, will, will you and, and I choose to do the first two things that Jesus said to do in response to the gospel? That's really what Mark is getting. He's driving to these two things. All of this stuff, he's saying, look, you need to understand. This is why he's included these 10 miracles, the interactions uh, with the religious leaders, uh, the healings. He's included all of that so that we might understand that the time has come, that the kingdom of God is is at hand, which is what they should have understood as Jesus was doing things that had never been done before, right? Raising people from the dead, healing the lame and, and, and the sick, doing all, forgiving sins, which is what the religious leaders were upset with him about. All of these things are included in there to help us understand that the kingdom of God really is at, at hand. If, if this were not the kingdom of God, like these things couldn't happen. And so everything that Mark is pointing to comes down to the last two, repent and believe. That's what he wants us to get to. That's the point he wants us to get to. And so everything that Mark has written is leading to this, this huge hinge moment. So we go from uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, where, where Jesus presents, like begins to present the gospel. And then we jump to Mark chapter 8. All of these stories that Mark's included, all these healings and all these interactions with the religious leaders, all of that kind of stuff are leading us to this moment that begins in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, this is the first time he's asked them a question like that. He, he's gone... Um, He's gone three years, a little over three years. So from um, Mark chapter one to Mark chapter eight, the vast majority of, of Jesus' life is covered in those first eight chapters. The last eight chapters of Mark cover about the last two weeks of Jesus' life. Okay, so you're thinking about the timeline, that's where we're at. This is very close to Jesus' death. And he's going around preaching and he finally asked them, near the end of his earthly life and ministry, he finally asked them, who, who do people say that I am? And, and they said what they had heard. Well, some say you're John the Baptist because he'd been killed um, by this time, which is kind of silly because like Jesus and John were contemporaries. And then others say um, that you're Elijah, which Elijah is the one who was supposed to come before the Messiah. So you're, you're not the Messiah. You're not the, the chosen one. Um, you're just the guy that's leading the way to that. Um, and, and other people say that you're just one of the prophets. Like you're just, you're just this guy who's talking about the things that God is doing. And then Jesus asked them pointedly, who do you say? That I like, now I know what all the other people are saying about me, who they think I am, but who do you think that, that I am? That is much more pointed. And then Peter answered him, you are, you are the Christ. So the disciples had re repented. 
They believed, obviously, because they were, they were following Jesus. They'd given up their previous lives to follow Jesus. Um, but Jesus is setting them up for this, this, just this huge hinge moment in their lives, in his life, and in all of our lives. And, and typically, I think, as we read this story, we kind of read right over Peter's confession. You're the Christ. You are the the Christ. And another, um, another one of the gospels that says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But um, we skip over this confession because Peter's not telling us anything that we don't know, right? And that's one of the struggles with reading the Bible. It's like we know how the story ends. And so sometimes we can just kind of read over the things without really letting it kind of sink in about actually what's actually happening in, in this um, moment, and so it kind of seems like an anticlimactic moment for us, but it was not an anticlimactic moment for Peter and the other disciples or for Jesus. So what Peter was actually saying here when he said, you're the Christ, is, has, has just huge implications in, in life. Um, we've told you before, but if you didn't, didn't hear it or maybe forgot, Christ is not Jesus' last name. We call him Jesus Christ, but really it might helpful, be helpful if we said Jesus the Christ, because Christ is a title. It comes from the um, g- Greek word Christos, and, and the, the word like literally means anointed one. And so when we read Jesus the Christ, we're saying Jesus, this particular person, he's the son of Mary and, and, and Joseph, or so it was thought, and and so this particular guy, this is who he is. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one of, of God. And it has this very specific use with Jesus. See, in Old Testament history, a priest or a prophet might be um, moved by God to go and anoint a new king over Israel or another nation. And they would do that by going and, and pouring oil over the head of the individual and and then saying, you know, God has chosen you to be king. This is what um, Samuel did, I believe it's Samuel, to to King David. He goes to David when David is just a young boy and he goes kind of secretly because Saul is the king and he doesn't really want Saul to find out. And so he goes to Jesse, David's dad, and he has all the sons uh, come and he said, no, not this one, not this one, this one. He goes, all of them finally gets to David And then Samuel pours the anointing oil over David's head and and David becomes the anointed one of God to be the next king of Israel. So this is all part of this um, covenant relationship that God has. It begins with really very early on. It's, It's given to Adam and Eve, which then is broken. And, And then this covenant relationship extended to to Noah, and he kind of blew things after the that came out of the ark, and then it was was reissued to Abraham, and then it was reissued at Mount Sinai to all the nation of Israel. But all of those covenants had the same end result: everybody blew it every time. And so even King David sinned, right? And and he was he was unable to fulfill the covenant promises. Uh, that, that humanity was supposed to make to God. I'm going to obey you, and I'm not going to do the things that you don't want me to. So God made all these promises throughout history about this coming king from the fallen line of King David, and this king would restore 
God's relationship with Israel and, and really extend that relationship to everybody on, on earth by fulfilling all the commands of the covenants that God had made with humanity since the beginning of time. This covenant king would not just restore that relationship to Israel again, but it would, it would extend that relationship to every nation and language and tribe and, and color over the whole world. And so when Peter makes this statement, you are the Christ, and presumably the other 11 disciples agreed, Peter was saying, you, Jesus, are the promised king. You're the guy. You're the, the one. You're not Elijah. You're not John the Baptist. You're not the, some prophet or, or priest. You are the one that was promised in the very beginning. This was a position given and established by God. And so this moment is incredibly powerful. And it was really only rivaled by the next, the next moment. This is what happens next. Jesus then, immediately after Peter says, you're the promised one, the anointed one of God. You're the king that was to come. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed. So this king that we've been waiting for for thousands of years, who's going to bring about the kingdom of God, he can't die. The, the, the disciples have just come to this incredible hinge moment where they've finally been able to say, okay, you are the guy, and we believe that you're the guy that God promised because we've seen you heal the lame and the sick and bring people from the dead, and we've listened to the things that you've taught. We've heard you argue with the religious leaders as they've come and brought questions, and you've answered all of like You've checked all the boxes. You are the king, and we're ready for you to ascend the throne of your kingdom. And then Jesus said, no, uh, I'm going to be killed. Like, wait a minute. That's crazy talk. No, that's not the way that's supposed to work. And he says, I'm not only is he going to be killed, but after three days, we're going to rise again. This, it's like they're told, their minds are just blown. They cannot follow this. And Jesus um, said this plainly, which Mark's trying to make sure Jesus didn't pull any punches here. He just told like, this is how it's going to be. And here's their response. Peter, who just made this great confession, you're the promised king, now take your kingdom. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And Jesus looks at the other disciples. He sees Peter in front of him. He's like, what is going on here? And so Jesus then rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of, of man. What he's saying here is, Peter, you're, you're not getting the big picture. You're not understanding the plan of God and what's happening in, in this moment. And so calling the crowd to him, along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone, oh, got to be careful. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and, and follow me. This is a, a major moment here 
for Peter and the other disciples. They finally see that Jesus is the king, and yet the very next thing he says is, I've not come to rule for the rest of my life. I've come to reconcile humanity through my death. They're like, whoa, wait a minute. He says, I haven't come to, 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 to wear a crown on a throne. I've, I've come to wear a crown of thorns. I haven't come to wield strength as a physical king over Israel where all the other nations of the world will submit to me. I've come to win your salvation through suffering. And if you want to follow me, you're going to have to learn to deny yourself. And then he says that word, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, um, I'm not a Greek scholar, but the Greek word uh, deny here in the text, um, if I get it right, is aparniome or something like that. You're not Greek scholars anyway, so it doesn't matter. But the way that it's used here in in the text, what we might hear, what the disciples probably heard, those people who are following Jesus, they probably heard Jesus say this when he said you need to deny yourself. Um, They would have heard you need to forget yourself and lose sight of yourself and your own interests. That kind of sounds like the opposite of the American dream to me. Like, wait a minute, I thought I was only supposed to be focused on my own interests, my own desires, uh, the things that I, uh, that I want. I thought that's what I was supposed to do, and now you're telling me, no, I need to forget myself. And the way it's situated in the sentence means that Jesus was telling them, you need to, to have a new way of, of living, a new way of doing life, a new state or condition of your life where you as an individual would at once begin to lose sight of yourself and your own interests so that you could begin to focus on something or someone else. And so it's not that we just, we just forget ourselves. A lot of Eastern religions that are like, you just have to um, forget about yourself and then open yourself up to the universe. That's not what Jesus is, is saying here. And, and we get that in, in the next thing. Jesus kind of gives us this, like explains it a little farther um, because he then uses his own cross, Jesus' own cross that's coming as kind of a metaphor. So the cross of Jesus was an instrument of physical death, but here he uses it as a, uh, to represent the suffering that will take place as one learns to deny themselves. So he's saying, look, I'm going to be obedient to my father, even to this cross that that represents my my physical death. But this cross also can represent you denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me. So not doing the things that you just want to do, but listening to God and doing the things that he might lead you to do. When we as followers or disciples of Jesus make the kingdom of God present in our lives, what does that mean? Look at the life of Jesus and what Mark said in the middle of chapter one through the middle of chapter eight. Jesus um, healed people and he taught and he performed miracles. He did all of these things that made the kingdom of God present in the life of the people. He lived according to the rules and the commands of God's kingdom and not the kingdom of the world. Because you, you can't do the things that Jesus did in the natural world. And so he made present the kingdom of God by living 
according to God's standards and, and rules in that covenant relationship. And so as followers or disciples of Jesus, we make the kingdom of God present in our lives by denying our rights in order to secure the rights of, of others. Right? We deny our rights in order to secure the rights of, of others. W- what does that look like? Well, this is my spot in line. It's my right to be here. You got to go to the back of the line. But what if I denied my rights in order to make sure somebody else? So I stepped out of the way and said, no, you can go first. You can go in front of me. It means to deny our comfort in order to be able to serve somebody else. Yeah, I might have to get up early. I might be cold. I might be tired. I might be worn out. But somebody else is going to get the benefit from that. It means denying our own needs in order to meet the needs of somebody else. Yeah, I really want to. I'm hungry. I want to eat. But I'm going to let you go first instead. It means denying ourselves in any way in order to love God and love others. So it's, it's not just um, being a martyr where you always let everybody else go first and you always get the last spot so you can go, oh, there's not enough for me. That's, that's not what it's talking about. Like grandmas sometimes do that, right? They make everybody eat first and then they go last and then they, you know, some grandmas like, eh. It's not about that. Denying ourselves so that we can love others and we can love God. We're carrying our cross in order to follow Jesus' example. And so at real life, we call this our disciple uh, definition, our definition of a disciple. And, And we'll say it this way, a disciple is someone who looks more like Jesus every day. And, and here's what that looks like in, in everyday life. A disciple is, is somebody who's disciplined. And we're not talking about, you know, I get up at the same time every morning and I go to bed at the same time. I'm disciplined. We're talking about spiritual disciplines like, like, like prayer or silence or reliance on God or, or generosity. So a disciple is disciplined in the things of God. So again, I'm denying myself so that I can focus on God or focus on others. Uh, Secondly, a disciple is somebody who's dependent, just like Jesus. We we recognize that any power, any ability that we have comes from God and comes through obedience to God. And so Jesus said it this way, I do what I see the Father doing. And, And so as disciples, we're dependent on God because we go, okay, God, where are you working? What are you doing Um, what what doors have you opened? What person have you brought into my life? And then I'm going to assume that you did that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be open to whatever you're leading me in there. So we're just dependent on God in that relationship back and forth. A disciple is also um, somebody who's, who's doing, doing the things Jesus did in the spirit that Jesus did them. A disciple doesn't just know a bunch about Jesus or about the, the Bible or about God. A disciple does the kind of things that Jesus did. And there's a lot of people say it this way in, in the church. There's a lot of Christians who are educated about God far beyond their ability to obey. We know way more about God than we actually obey in, in terms of our everyday life. 
I know what God wants me to do. I just don't do it. That's, that's a lot of faith for, for people. And so if you're going to look more like Jesus every day, you're going to be doing the things that Jesus did. And then the last one is the disciple is duplicating, duplicating. Just like Jesus, the disciple wants to see more and more people become disciples of, of Jesus. And so as disciples, we're motivated to deny self and to follow Jesus because of our understanding of what Jesus' gospel really is. So here's how we've kind, of, um, we've kind of filtered the gospel of Jesus out. By, by the way, if you um, want to go to my message notes on the website, reallifecc.us, scroll down. I think it's a blue picture. It says my message notes. Um, there's a lot of this gospel stuff in there that's a, a little different that I haven't talked about. Um, but here's our gospel definition here at Real Life. Jesus the King died in our place and rose as our defender, inviting us into a relationship with the Father where we can live our real lives through the Holy Spirit's power as we daily surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. Because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, we get to experience real life through him. And so as we repent and believe and follow, we receive the Holy Spirit's power to help us daily deny ourselves and surrender to Jesus because he's the king. And then we wait for the day that he's gonna come back. We're not just doing this as this unending everyday thing. We believe in a future hope where Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna bring heaven and earth into perfect unity. And so we're not sitting on our hands we're actively trying to look more like Jesus so that every person possible might find real life in him. And so here's the hinge moment that, that Mark uh, brings Peter and the others to Jesus and, and, and brings us as the readers to. Here's the hinge moment for you and I um, today. Who is Jesus? And who is Jesus to you? Because if Jesus is the king, then the next question is, am I really his disciple? If Jesus is the king, am I really following him or am I not? And, and so let me just give you a few um, questions to help you process this and move through it. Uh, have you repented? The, the word repent means to change your direction or your motivation in, in life. I was going this way. I was doing everything I wanted to do. I was avoiding everything I wanted to avoid. And now I'm going to do the things that God wants me to do. Right? I'm, I'm denying myself and I'm following after Jesus. That's what the word repented means or repent. The, the second question is, do, do you believe? Okay, so you realize you need to change your life, but do you, do you believe? And belief is about changing the heart changing our understanding about who Jesus is and about what my future holds. So I can change, I can, I can just actually look and go, the way I've been living my life isn't getting me where I wanna be. And so I'm gonna start doing things this way and I can do things this way without really believing that Jesus is who he claims to be. And so belief really is about changing that heart motivation there. I want to do the things that Jesus wants me to do because I believe he's the king and that he's coming back. And then are you following him? 
And, and following indicates a change of focus in your life. Not, not focused on myself anymore. I'm focused on the things of God. It's a change of focus. I'm looking more like Jesus every day. And so like Jesus, have I been baptized? And that was the first physical act of obedience that Jesus took with his father. It seems like a good idea that that would be the first act of obedience that we would take as followers trying to imitate and be like Jesus. So have I been baptized? Am I making disciples for Jesus? Am I sharing my faith? Am I telling my story? Am I helping bring other people along? And, and so today, is there a next step for you to take? Maybe that, maybe you've been coming to church for, maybe you can come to church your whole life, but you've never been baptized. You never realized that that was a thing I'm probably supposed to do. We want to give you the opportunity to do that when the next time that we make that available. Maybe for you, it's just like, well, you know, I've been coming for a while and I get like some things, but you know, it's really beginning to click that I believe that Jesus is God's son, that he is coming back and that everything is gonna change. Maybe for you, it's that, it's that um, belief. Maybe you realize that you come to church and you enjoy singing and the things that are going on, but you really haven't been following Jesus. You really haven't been doing the things that Jesus did. You're not looking like Jesus in your everyday life. And maybe you kind of look like Jesus at home, but you don't look like Jesus at work. Or you kind of look like him at home with the kids, but you don't look like him on social media accounts. To my following Jesus. Um, and, and so uh, whether, you're, whether you're joining us in person here in the building or joining us online, um, if there's a step that you need to take, you can go to reallifecc.us forward slash I am ready. The letter I, the letter M, and the word ready, all one word. Um, or you, at the header menu, you can click on next steps and find it there as well. And there's just some questions, some things. Where, where are you in, in, that, in that process and what step do you need uh, do you need to take? If you're in person today and your technology kind of freaks me out or, or whatever, you can go back to Connection Hub. I'll be back there after service. And, um, and, and, if, and if you're ready to take one of those steps, we can help you uh, do that as well. Um, so if you're ready to be baptized, to serve, to follow, to repent, we want to help you take that, um, take that next step. Here at Real Life, uh, Jesus is the King. And as his disciples, we want to simply and consistently look more like him every day in order to help every person possible find real life in Jesus so that they can start to look more like him every day in order to repeat that whole process until Jesus returns. And so I just want to invite you to join us in that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for um, your son Jesus, for the King who came, who died, who rose again, and who is coming back. I pray that in, in my life, I would look more like Jesus, that I'd follow consistently. I pray that for all of us, God. And, and so if there's some here today, Father, would you, by your spirit, give them the strength, the ability to do that as well? If it's, if it's a, a need to repent or 
make a, a public statement of belief or to be baptized or, or just to be more consistent in following you, would you help us to do that by your strength, the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us to help us daily surrender to Jesus as we wait for him to come back. So Father, would you just um, be with us as, as we do that, um, to be disciples, to be people who look more like Jesus so that we can help others find that real life in him as well. Thank you, Father, for loving us and for all that you do for us and through us and in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, sit right there just for a minute. Go ahead and come up, Lance.